For Pro Soccer USA, this is Glenn Crooks on frame. New York City FC got off to a very bright start to the new year with back-to-back wins over A.D. San Carlos, advancing to the quarterfinals of CONCACAF Champions League. The first leg of that will be Wednesday at Red Bull Arena against seven-time Liga MX champion Tigres. The start of the MLS season has not gone as well. Back-to-back road defeats, first to Columbus and then at BMO Field against Toronto FC this past Saturday. In a moment, my broadcast partner for the TFC match, Matty Lawrence. And then later, we'll break down and take a closer look at that Wednesday match with my colleagues Roberto Abramowitz and John Rojas. Looking at the closely and uh, what the two legs might look like for the York City FC. This experience is very new for the franchise. But MLS, they've been there before. 0-2, though, to start the season. And uh, the game on Saturday was heard on the New York City FC radio network. My broadcast partner, former Millwall, Crystal Palace, Fulham Central Defender, graduate of Hartwick, has worked for Talk Sport in England. And good to talk to you again. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Glenn. Great to talk to you. Now, you've had a chance to digest uh, everything in the game. We'd back and think about it for a while. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts after this digestion? Tough start for, for NYCFC. We know that sides tend to struggle on the road, and, and NYCFC have obviously struggled on the road. Uh, they lost to Columbus. I guess that's a little bit of a, an anomaly in the first game of the season, playing 87 minutes without Cheneau, playing with 10 men. So I guess you can almost excuse the defeat there away from home to Columbus. I, I think the weekend's game that's just gone against TFC, I think that's totally different. Um, and I think when we analysed it on the day, and I think now looking back on it, having watched highlights of the game, going back to it, um, I think that you can only say that NYCFC underperformed. I, I think that uh, TFC deserved the win. Um but saying that, Glenn, and we said it on, on the broadcast, once you've got to 80 minutes in the game, it's nil-nil, you've kept a clean sheet, you've got a point, you then secure that point. And I think NYCFC once again showed a bit of naivety. And, and I think, again, this time, not just this time, but it's happened previously as well, the goal in, in, in two instances. Firstly, obviously, he gave the ball away in a stupid position. It was a... a that wasn't required, that was cut out. And, and then, obviously, he deflected the ball over the head of, uh, of uh, Shara. So, I, I think the team and, and Ronnie, Ronnie Dyler will be extremely disappointed also with the performance, Glenn. I, I think it was a poor performance from NYCFC's point of view. You know, and, and one moment out of it did decide the game, yet uh, when you look at Ronald Matarita, there were a number of other things. Jesus Medina had a, had a shot. Things could have worked differently. You put the spotlight on Matarita. Part of it was what we had said in pregame. Now, Toronto FC, Eastern Conference Semis, the knockout playoff game last year at City Field, 2-1. to one. Penalty kick in the ninth on Matarita on Richie Larea, who just buzzed by him, and it was just a. a, a, a now uh, we discussed you and I uh, in the pregame about Matarita going up against last October in the playoff game, and uh, one thing I pointed out in the article I wrote for Pro Soccer US, and remember we talked about it on the air. It was like, wow, he really needed that. Came away with the ball, best of Matarita, who backed off a little bit, and then the big error. Uh, with that uh, square pass from you is that you're a former player and the thing that we said is that that's going to be in Ronald Matarita's head Toronto FC no matter what they say right yep uh, for sure uh, about good players when they learn from their mistakes football is a game that you play hundreds of games of football so you have to get used to losing games and you have to get used to learning from your mistakes a big problem whether that's a, a, a mental problem uh, it's like a mental fixation that you switch CFC certainly 
have shown a couple of times now against TFC. And yes, we're highlighting that. The team game. Yes, individuals make mistakes, but you win, you lose, you draw as a other errors throughout the game. And, and I don't think, I think we analysed it post-game, head up high after that TFC game this weekend gone. I think Sean Johnson by VAR. I think Sean Johnson was the only real NYCFC Positive, in my opinion, of class saves. The other six, yes, he'd expect to, him to make them. He's a goalkeeper. He saves, stops the ball going. And I think he is the only player who can come out of that, that, that Toronto game with their head held high. And yes, we're highlighting Matarita's mistake. But all over the field, I thought it was a, uh, below a subpar performance. Header. And I think of Altador and I compare him to what Ronnie Dyla is attempting to do by himself as far as being a, a hold-up target player who can really keep the ball. Games this season, Eber and, and a bit of Castellanos, the... Uh... Um, against TFC, I, I thought they gifted possession back to, to Toronto Fast goals. We, can, we know we can do that. For me, it's about his hold-up play. And yes, this isn't just down to these two centre-halves. And he has to make sure that he's always available to, to, to receive the ball. And I don't well, let's forgive Columbus. They're playing with 10 men for the most of it. But certainly the Toronto game, I think we have to highlight that. Ismail Tajiri Shradi were warming up and preparing to enter the game. We were trying to sort out, well, who might... Sometimes when you're in commentary, you don't see so many things quite so clearly. But yeah, the TFC. TFC were outnumbered in the middle of midfield. It was only Osorio and Delgado. And they themselves on the three of NYCFC. That's another big problem, Glenn. I, I, I think NYCFC as well. And uh, Ronnie Dyla, the head coach, uh, we uh, met with him for a pregame briefing. And then uh, ultimately we kind of saw it up here was... And we, we but remember what he said that he really uh, has liked a lot of what his team has done since he uh, joined the squad. Things that I just don't understand why we did it. <laughs> that might be one of them. Yes, it is. It is uh, bad moments in games. And certainly, as, as I said earlier, you get to an 80 minute mark. Look, I play. You get to the 80th minute, maybe even the 75th minute. You've kept a clean sheet, bare minimum, each individual player. And I guess the more experienced members of the team as well. To pick in whichever ground you go to all around the world, you can see, you know when it's the 75th minute, the 80th minute ring to make sure that everybody's dialed into that. You know, almost saying, just look, lads, it's, this is the 80th minute. Both of those intact, the point and the clean sheet. And I think it happens too often for NYCFC that did against Toronto FC this season in the, this MLS regular season game and certainly last season. In the You're on frame for Pro Soccer USA. And Maddie, one of the things we've heard Ronnie Dylas say too, meaning he wants the players to feel safe. And I know what he's referring to is, you know, as a player, when a new coach comes on board, and I'm sure you've experienced that several times, how trying to play the way the coach wants you to play? Yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting word to say. So you what he expects from you, not only in training, but also obviously on a match day situation uh, in a, any of the players safe in the knowledge of what Ronnie Dyler expects from them. They, they've had a number of pre-season, less regular season games as well, going into the, the, the fifth game of the season against Team Glenn. They, they should be safe. They should understand what the coach expects from them. And, and certainly those created lots of chances, but this is your bread and butter for me. It, it, it's MLS play and a bit of a problem. And the new head coach coming in, wants the first points on the board, certainly wants the first rest, will be 
they can almost relax a little bit. Yes, of course, the Champions League is important. They're the underdog. They can breathe a little sigh of relief, maybe safe in the knowledge they're not expected quality than there was against Toronto. And uh, we're going to bring in Robert, uh, Roberto Abramowitz and uh, John Roja, CONCACAF Champions League on Wednesday at Red Bull Arena. So we're going to spend a lot of time with them on that home site for these uh, legs of the, the the CCL for New York City as a supporters group boycotted the first game against AD uh, San Carlos, but they've lifted that. It looks like it's going to be a sellout, the lower bowl, about 10,000 people, but a home game in your rival's stadium. But do you think that's been uh, overstated? That- um, look, it's up to the supporters. They can do whatever they want. They're the people who pay their money. They're the ones who watch. Look, as, as a player, you would always want as many fans as possible to be there in the arena, to be there in the stadium. I'm glad that they've, you know, called off this this so-called, you know, blackout of the game, so to speak. And I'm, I'm glad there's going to be 10, 11,000 people there at Red Bull Arena it, because it's incredibly important, Glenn, for a player. You never want to play in front of a, a of a small crowd. It's always easier to to get the uh, or, or to to really focus when you've got that atmosphere of a good crowd behind you. So, so firstly, I'm, I'm really pleased there's going to be a decent crowd there. And secondly, I, I'm not one to speak for a fan, Glenn. I, I'm really not. I'm not sitting on the fence either. The fan can do whatever they want. They're the ones who, who earn the money and they, they're the ones who earn the right to come, come and watch the game or, or not watch the game. All I can say is, as a player, you want there to be more fans rather than fewer fans. It's always fun at, at Yankee Stadium when there's 25, 30,000 people there. And I think to Red Bull Arena as, as well, um, when we worked broadcast and when there's 20, 22,000 people at Red Bull Arena, it really is a great atmosphere. Yes, it's not NYCFC's home ground, of course, we know that, but NYCFC fans can turn it into NYCFC's home ground just for that occasion, and, and I think they will do this coming Wednesday. So, uh, Matty, which uh, Champions League match are you looking more forward to, the uh, uh, New York City FC against Tigres or, or uh, Liverpool in uh, the UEFA Champions League? <laughs> All right, unfair well, question. I t- <laughs> hey, look, I can certainly tell you I've been a Liverpool fan for, that I can remember for about 42, 41, 42 years of my life. So All I'm right. going to have to go with that one. And I've also watched Liverpool win European Cups, whether it be, what was it, in 81 and, and 84 and, and, and years like that. And obviously much, much closer to home as well, 2005 in Istanbul and things like that. So, yes, unfortunately, I, for my 70 fans, I, I'm more looking forward to a Liverpool game, but I certainly will, will have a close eye on the NYCFC Tigres game as well, Glenn, because I think Tigres are a very good side. Yes, sitting 12th in Liga Emekis right now, but they've got some wonderful players in that starting 11. And, and, and any fan of the English Premier League will know Enna Valencia, who plays centre forward there. Gignac as well, the Frenchman who scored absolutely bundles of goals for uh, in Ligue 1 for Marseille. And he's got some like 59 goals uh, in about 150 league games. So there's some real quality in this Tigres side. Don't be... Um, you know, don't be put off by the position at 12th in Liga MX. This is a real, real football team club, Tigres. So this will be a, a tough game. All right, one more MLS note uh, coming up on the weekend, the home opener for New York City FC on a Saturday. We'll carry that one on the New York City FC network. Maddie and I will be on the broadcast. 12.15 is our airtime, Eastern time. But FC Dallas, so they've started the season off uh, pretty well, be- beating Philadelphia 2-0. And you look at that result after watching Philadelphia play LAFC on the road last night. You can 
you can suggest that that's a, a pretty good triumph for FC Dallas. And then they're trailing by two, and they come back for the uh, two-two draw uh, with uh, Ricardo Pepe scoring in the sixth minute of stoppage time to level Montreal two-two. Seventeen years old, and and FC Dallas has been noted for that, right? Yes, they have. Look, there's a number of homegrown players throughout the starting eleven and in the eighteen as well. As you mentioned, Pepe's a homegrown player came off the bench against Montreal. We spoke a little bit earlier uh, on this call, Glenn, about NYCFC switching off at inopportune moments just before half-time, just before the 90-minute mark. We know that against FC Dallas, they can't do that. FC Dallas have already scored two goals in, in additional time, in injury time, in their two MLS regular season games this season. They're a very good side, and you do have to look out. And I think rightly so for their homegrown players. Yes, they've got a lot of other talent as well. But you just look through it. Gonzalez, the goalkeeper, 24 homegrown. Reggie Cannon, 21 homegrown at right back. The new boy, Tessman, the homegrown player, the 18-year-old who turned down the, the Clemson um, wrong-shaped football scholarship. Um, Jesus Ferreira as well, 19 years old as well. Not a homegrown, but he may as well be. His father played for FC Dallas way back when, and he joined the academy at eight years old when his father was playing for the team. So he should really be considered the homegrown as well. Then you look to the bench, and, and you've got Reynolds and Pepe, two other homegrowns, both under the age of 20. That's a bit of a look at FC Dallas, the next MLS opponent for New York City FC. That's my broadcast partner, Matty Lawrence. We should note that Dallas will be missing three key players on Saturday. They're with Jason Kreis for Olympic qualification, Reggie Cannon, Jesus Ferreira, and Paxton Pomacol. All right, well, let's dig a little deeper into this CONCACAF Champions League. New York City is hosting Tigres, currently 12th in the table in Liga MX. The game's at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey, at a fan-friendly 8 p.m. Eastern kickoff on Wednesday. So I've brought in a couple of guys to uh, talk about uh, a, a team and a league that uh, they know more than I do. And uh, it's uh, my pleasure. Uh, two of my partners on another podcast called Soccer in the City, Roberto Abramowitz, he's the Spanish radio commentator for NYCFC. John Rojas, formerly in that position, he's a soccer broadcaster and writer. And uh, boys, welcome. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Glad to speak to you again. Yes, it's, I'm uh, good. Thanks for inviting. It, no, no, no problem, John and uh, Roberto. Uh, do appreciate the time, Roberto. I'm going to kick it off with you. And I, I think the first thing, you know, I twelfth in the table in uh, in the league, uh, a, a franchise and a team that traditionally has been very good, seven time champions of the league. Uh, is there any indication that 12th in the table reflects their current form or should we be guarding against that? I think it does reflect their current form. They haven't been playing very well. Their last game was a 0-0 tie at Puebla where, you know, it was an even game where they didn't really create a ton of opportunities. And they the, the only win they've had recently was against Unam at home where they beat Pumas 3-0. But in that game... Uh, Pumas had an early red card, and then Andre Pierre Guignac had two penalty kicks, and then he had a spectacular bicycle kick goal for the hat trick. And they won that game easily 3 nothing. but obviously the red card had a huge influence on how uh, that result unfolded. John, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're not going through a good spam. Listen, they're playing... Uh... 
They played already nine games. They only had three victories. And, and the highest uh, spot that they uh, had on the table was eight at the, at the fifth uh, weekend of, of competition there in Liga MX. So in, you had to see the two coins of, of this deal. One coin is this is a team that is not performing right now the way they want to perform and the way the people is used to see them. But at the same time, in the other, in the other face of the coin, you have a team that is one of the powerhouses there, is one of the more um, compact and, and, and talented rosters, more expensive roster, um, is a, 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 a roster in a, in a team with a lot of uh, stability on their names from players and, uh, the, um, and the coaching staff. So, you know, these this kind of big teams, sometimes they're just looking for someone who pay the bill. <laughs> so uh, you, you, cannot, you cannot sleep and say, oh, well, they're not winning right now, so we can just probably just go and, you know, walk through it because they're going to crush you. So you've you got to be aware of the two faces of this team. Well, one of those names that Roberto brought up, Andre Pierre Gignac, he's, he's a Frenchman. And I, I'm, I'm curious, Roberto, is it uh, unique or unusual that somebody from France and, and somebody who's, uh, you know, at, uh, uh, that performs at, at this sort of a level is, uh, is playing football in Mexico? At, at this point in time, I'd say yes. But it, it used to be something that wasn't all that unusual. They had great players coming in uh, all the time. But it, most of the great players that have always come into Mexico have normally been from South America, Argentinian, Brazilians especially, and now a lot of Colombians, Peruvians, Ecuadorians. And that they make up the bulk of the foreign players that are in Mexico. So it is unusual to have somebody like Guignac, who is a uh, world-class player and used to play for the French national team, to be able to come to Mexico, want to play there, and uh, absolutely love it and thrive there. And he, he absolutely is thriving. He's the reason why any success that they've had this season uh, it's because of him. And this is a team that has played decently at home, three wins and a tie, yet on the road they, seems to be, they seem to have all sorts of problems. They have only one tie and four losses, two goals for, seven goals against. But as Guignac goes, goes so, so goes the team because he's their, their leading scorer. Well, they're on the road Wednesday at Red Bull Arena against New York City FC in the first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. John, let's talk a little bit more about Gignac. Why don't you give us a, a bit of a profile, the tools he has, what New York City is going to have to deal with? Well, he's a big presence uh, on the field and off the field, of course. Um, he's a, a, a player that can hold the ball, that has all the physicality that you need uh, to... If you want to play the long ball and he's going to hold it, he's totally fine with that. But he's a player that can you know, get back a little bit on the field and get involved in the construction of the game. So he is, is really talented on that side. Of course, he's a good finisher. Um, he's righty, but he can finish with his left uh, foot too. Uh, and then character-wise, you can say it's kind of a Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, mirror in that sense. I mean, big guy who's always screaming, always uh, being uh, pushing his uh, teammates. Uh, 
he has he's not afraid of getting involved in any kind of a confrontation with uh, the opposition. Um, he get in the faces of the referees if he needs to. So he 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 likes to control, you know, everything everything uh, around him. So it's a big big presence uh, on the field with the football, with the ball on his feet, and of course uh, undermining the schemes uh, of of the opposition. I'm curious, did he uh, buy a, a one-page ad in the local newspaper saying, You're welcome, Monterey? <laughs> no, no. No, he did not. He no. did not, but he has been many times uh, uh, interviewed uh, regarding rumors of, of he leaving Mexico and going back to uh, to Europe. And he, he uh, said many times that he is really, really... Uh, settle in mexico he doesn't want to move from there he's fine there he's loving it and uh, at some point even we had this rumor of romaine alessandrini remember the um the dp midfielder for la galaxy last uh, couple of seasons they're really close friends actually guignac came to la to visit him and alessandrini went down there too to mexico and, and, and spent some time together when they could and uh, there were this rumor that um, Alessandrini was trying to get Guignac to LA Galaxy. So it didn't no. happen, though. No. Actually, Alessandrini left. <laughs> now, uh, Roberto, uh, Guignac, ha- he's got some years on him. Uh, I don't know if we would say he's past his prime, perhaps. Uh, but in addition to him, who are some of the other uh, uh, players? And what's the makeup of this roster for Tigres? Who else do we have to be concerned with? Oh, Glenn, Tigres has always been, you know, a pretty solid and steady team. This year they haven't been playing well. But as far as some other players are concerned, this is a veteran, veteran team. And so and, and there's there's talent all, all over the place. Just it hasn't seemed to be working for some reason this year. Enter Valencia is a is an excellent forward, 30 years old from Ecuador, who uh, has played in England, has come back to the United States. I mean, to the United States has come to Mexico and uh, because he was there before. And uh, he's uh, one of the strikers uh, for the team. He he has done well in the, in the past for them. One of their better players, Jurgen Dam, though, we, won't, we probably won't be seeing him because he seems to be in some sort of a fight with the team because he had announced that he was going to leave the team at the end of a contract, which is at the end of this, uh, this summer. And the team uh, was upset at him at the way that he wound up saying it under his terms as opposed to theirs. So he's sort of been ostracized from the team, which is a good break for New York City if it turns out that he doesn't play because he hasn't been playing for them. Uh, Jesus Luenas, a Mexican uh, defensive midfielder, is somebody that, again, you have to be aware of. He's very strong in, in midfield, but again, a veteran, 30 years old. Guido Pizarro, the Argentinian uh, Mexican, again, defensive midfielder. They like to play with two holding mids. They're very, very strong. And then um, Manuel Nahuel Guzman, uh, who's their goalkeeper, Argentinian, has played for the national team, maybe in that major games, mind you, but he has been able to play there. And he's the one who has them playing against New York City because he actually came up and scored a goal that helped Tigres beat Alianza by a score of uh, 4-2. to two, And therefore, they were able to go through to the next round because they were leading that game 3 nothing. Alianza came back, scored two goals, and they're about to go through. And then in stoppage time at the end, he came up, scored the goal on a header, and that's how Tigres has advanced to the, this round against New York City FC. Well, John, that's a pretty remarkable story that uh, Roberto started there about the goalkeeper Guzman scoring 
the goal that put them through. Can you uh, set the stage for that? Because it was right at the brink. Yeah, as Roberto said, it was the, the last minute of the of the game. They were actually in injury time. The global uh, score didn't didn't help them to go through, and so he went to the corner kick. He was probably the last play of the of the game. He went out there. He got into the box. Uh, found found his space, cleanly jump and get a really good header. And uh, with the score, of course, uh, you know, craziness took over the stadium because they qualify. And it was emotional every, for everybody. <laughs> I mean, the emotion had to be, well, obviously advancing number one. But the goalkeeper coming up inside the area, scoring off a header. I mean, that is like... Uh, well, that's beyond serendipity. I mean, we've all seen that happen at the end of games, you know, where it's uh, it's the last moment of the match and you're trying to get the equalizer or the winner, whatever it might be, not just a knockout game like this, but uh, any game. It, you, you just you hardly ever see it. So it was really kind of remarkable. It is. It is remarkable. And uh, But, again, it speaks in one side of the coin of how hard it was for them to qualify, to go through that round because they're not being on their, you know, their level. Uh, but on the other hand, when, when it happens with this kind of big teams, you know, uh, when, when they so doing not that good and they have the second breath, that second life, they just take over. So you got to be aware of that because they very well ready to take over and they have a really deep team and, and a squad to deal with, with what uh, NYCFC can have for them. Well, I, I want to get to the venues for uh, for both clubs uh, in a moment. But one more player, John, uh, Ener, and uh, Roberto brought this guy up, Enner Rambeto Valencia Lastra. Here's a guy that played at Emelec in Ecuador. Never reals, realized that. He was a golden boot in the Copa uh, Sudamericana in 2013. Sudamericana, yes. So, so what, uh, tell us about him, and uh, is this somebody New York City has to be concerned with? Especially his his speed. I mean, he's really he's really good uh, on the on the one v one. He's really good uh, with the ball on his feet, but he is really really fast, and that's something that you need to take care of because, of course, that's one of the ways that you can break a line and, and create havoc on the you know on the back line of the opposition uh, team. So uh, you need to be aware of that. It's, that's that's his skill set. Of course, uh, he probably won't finish that much. He probably will be the one who set the table for Guignac to finish or someone coming from behind and finish. But in the 1v1 and the speed, he's a really good player. Well, he's got 31 goals and 54 appearances for Ecuador and also had uh, 54 appearances for West Ham United, uh, played for Pachuca uh, on loan with Everton. And, uh, well, he's an interesting guy to watch uh, uh, in addition to Gignac on Wednesday. John Rojas, Roberto Abramowitz here with us on frame, uh, helping uh, helping uh, me set the table for Wednesday, the CCL quarterfinal at Red Bull Arena. Let's talk about Red Bull Arena, Roberto. Uh, it appears to be a sellout. Uh, the club and Ticketmaster have no more tickets available. I suppose the uh, resale artists probably still have some out there. And maybe uh, I- I'm-, I'm reading on Twitter, maybe some Tigres supporters who aren't going to use their tickets uh, they, they're allotted 650 so there may be some there as well but this is quite a difference from the home leg uh, in the round of 16 uh, against uh, San Carlos when only 2,700 
walk through the turnstiles. It's going to be 10,000 plus on Wednesday. Yeah, it is. So, so it's a sellout with an asterisk, right? Because Red Bull Arena holds 26,500 when they open up the entire uh, stadium, which is what they did on Sunday for the U.S. women's team who beat Spain one nothing, and there wasn't a seat available there. Uh, over here, they kept on opening, opening, you know, section by section until they filled out the lower bowl. And yes, yeah, so that's about 10,000 seats. And they were still talking about it. And I know they were going to have a meeting today to see if they're going to open up any other sections. So they may release some other tickets, but I'm not sure about that. Meanwhile, when, as you were looking on Ticketmaster, there was nothing available. When we went to Vivid Seats and StubHub, there were some tickets available. And uh, the prices were somewhere around $55 uh, was the cheapest seat. But I, there were some people who had like eight, ten seats to sell. So you figure some of that scalping. So we'll, we'll see. But either way, it's going to be a much better crowd, a much bigger crowd. There's going to be a lot of ticketed supporters. I don't know how many, though. A lot of the times when Mexican teams come and play in America, they wind up getting a very large portion of the seats. This time, uh, for everything that I've heard, it seems that New York City fans will have the majority of the seats. But there'll be a lot of Tigres fans there. At the same time, there's a lot of other Mexican fans that, that you know, cheer for either Guadalajara, America, Necaxa, Pumas, whatever, that are going to be there. And some of them will cheer for Tigres. But a lot of them, and I've spoken to a lot of Monterey fans especially, and they're saying there's no way in hell that they're going to root for Tigres, that there'll be New York City supporters all the way on this. So maybe New York City would be able to impress a couple of people who are going there who normally don't uh, look at MLS and uh, maybe get a fan or two if they play well and get a good result. Yeah, and we've all been in Red Bull Arena, and you know, even if there's only 200 people, it just seems like it's very loud in there. The acoustics uh, really uh, support the the players. It, it, and with 10,000 plus all in that lower bowl, it could be a could be a great atmosphere. John, conversely, uh, 41,000 plus at the home of Tigres would be the expectation for the second leg on March the 17th. So you talked a little bit about the game-winning goal and the eruption. So it's uh, certainly um, when you compare the two venues and the atmosphere, it's going to be a lot different. It's totally different, of course. Uh, beginning with with that, the capacity uh, of the stadium is almost 42,000. Uh, El, El Volcano, Estadio Universitario, which is the legal name, but everybody knows it as El Volcan. And... Um, uh, of course, the crowd, but the, the passion itself, too. I mean, the way that uh, you use the, the fireworks and the sounds and the, the songs and everything makes, of course, a totally different atmosphere. You want to compare, let's put it this way. Let's say is um, Bank of California Stadium, LAFC atmosphere times two. Well, that's a. Uh... That's a pretty good atmosphere, as we. It uh, is. Uh, I, it I, is because because if you see today, you have two great atmospheres in MLS, right? I mean, comparing with with South America or Mexico atmosphere in the stadiums, and that will be Atlanta United or um, LAFC. And even though the capacity is bigger in in uh, in Atlanta and Mercedes-Benz Stadium, when you are in both places, you you feel a little difference in Bank of California. That's more South American. That's more because the whole stadium is involved in it. In, in, in Mercedes Stadium, it looks like 
the fans, the, the, the supporter section is really, really involved, really loud. But, you know, some part of the stadiums, as big as the stadium is, are just watching the game. In Banco California, it's like everybody is part of that atmosphere. And that's what you see on Tigres, almost the 42,000 involved in that atmosphere. And, John, the Tigres has had the same manager, Ricardo Ferretti, uh, Tuca. Right? Yeah, for yes. uh, don't raise your boys though. For over uh, for over ten <laughs> years, but I, I tweeted out that uh, he appeared to be the Billy Martin of uh, Mexican football. Billy Martin, the former Yankees manager, uh, he would uh, manage for a while, get fired or quit, and then come back again and come back again. This is his third stint uh, for uh, for Tuca. He uh, was the manager in two thousand, uh, then again in two thousand six. But he's had this long reign. Uh, talk to us about Ferretti a little bit. And you did send me something. You sent me a text with a video of him. I I didn't understand. You know, I don't speak Spanish, so I wasn't quite sure what he was saying. But he was quite agitated at a at a post. Was that a post match press conference? Can you describe uh, how yeah. he is and what kind of coach he is? Yeah, I think I think the comparison fits perfectly because uh, I mean, here's a guy who loves the game, of course, who studied the game, who is very close uh, with his players. Uh, they have a really good relationship. I remember, for example, Andre Pierre Guignac celebrating one goal, just kicking him on the back, just a big kick on his back. It's not, you know, it's not often that a player celebrates kicking his coach. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that talks about a good relationship. But at the same time, he is very demanding and he speaks his mind. He has, you know, no problem at all on screaming at them and saying all the spellative that he wants if he wants his message to go across his players. So it's a big persona. He is, you, you can say it's very, I, I won't say it's divisive in, in a wrong way, but the fans in Mexico are divided between liking him or not. But when, and, he, and, when he pounded the table at the end of that press conference that you, you sent me, what was he saying on his way out? Oh, well, that one is because, okay, let me think about that video. Okay, so that one is a press conference after a game. Someone started to ask something, and he, of course, he was already, you know, his mood wasn't the, the best mood for the press conference. Okay. It was a classic. It was, it was <laughs> a, a derby game, and uh, he stopped the guy and said, you know what, we're going to start with a lady first. And the guy said, well, why? And he started to get agitated and said, well, because I said so. Okay. Well, but and then the guy started like, "What?" But we all have no. You had to be quiet. This is my house, and I put the rules in my house. You set the rules in your house. This is my house, and the guy keep talking. So he just get up, hit the table, and and went off and say, "Until this beep, get quiet. I'm not gonna come back." <laughs> I did hear. But that's I did hear Mikasa during it, so I, I knew my house was in there somewhere. But <laughs> right, but there's many, many of those, as many of those incidents. I mean, in not only, not only a bad mood, different elements of his personality. I mean, in another press conference, for example, he was answering questions, and a little dog came into the press conference. Okay, so what he did, he get up, walked with the dog, out of the room, never came back. <laughs> Well, the dog needed to, you know, go out and relieve himself. Listen, you know, maybe. <laughs> people found out later that that was his dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, John. So, you know, it's, it's uh, those kind of things that he had that is just, but he's very, you know, 
the pe persona to, is, is a very nice person, but uh, but he has this, and, and he is not is zero zero problems to speak his mind, and and, and he is well respected, of course. He played for Botafogo and Vasco da Gama in Brazil, his native country, and and of course for four or five teams in Mexico before starting his career as a manager. And one thing that he has is that he's since he started in 1991 to be a coach, he never ever stopped, not for one tournament. Yeah, well, you know the one thing we're hearing about Ronnie Dyla, the New York City manager, you know, from every player you talk to is is about his personality and how he's kind of an electric guy, and that's where he's uh, been favored by supporters over the years with his club. So it's New York City against uh, uh, Tigres on Wednesday at Red Bull Arena. Uh, Roberto, we were just talking about press conferences. If I, can, if I can change the subject here for a moment, because before we started recording, we were talking about Chicharito, who's gotten off to a, a bit of a rugged start with the LA Galaxy. And uh, describe to us this... I remember seeing the picture of the media sitting in their chairs, a lot of media. That's because Chicharito was scheduled to come out and speak after the most recent Galaxy uh, uh, game, which was a kind of a, a massively disappointing one they loss to Vancouver. But uh, what exactly happened there? Well, as far as I know, and uh, Corner of the Galaxy is the one who put that out on, on Twitter, and they put the picture out there of really a packed room full of uh, journalists. And uh, Chicharito didn't want to speak to the press after the game. So, you know, so far in two games, they have a tie in Houston and they lost at home, packed house, uh, over 27,000 people or 26,000 people at the stadium. And they didn't get the result that they wanted against the team that had lost three to one at home to Sporting Kansas City. So it was a very disappointing uh, debut for him. And so he didn't come out and speak. And so a lot of people were upset that he didn't uh, face the music after the game. And uh, I tweeted something out, you know, retweeted what they had put and, you know, and just basically said on social media that, you know, it's disappointing to see because when you're Chicharito, you know, there, there's more, you know, in a player like that, there's more to coming to MLS than just playing your game and getting out of town. You know, you've got to do more. You've got to be on. You've got to be the face of the team. You've got to face the media, et cetera, et cetera, because you're here to sell as opposed to just play. And so he didn't do that. And if you know, if that becomes something that becomes normal for for him, then it's going to be an issue. But you know, I was speaking with John about this before. Now, John used to live out in California and used to cover both the Galaxy and uh, LAFC and Carlos Vela, who seems to have a very good relationship with everybody, but he would do this often as well. And uh, Vela, after last night's 3-3 tie against uh, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Union, he didn't speak to the media either. And John was telling me, and John, you can fit, you can weigh in on this, please, because you know this is your personal experience. This isn't the first time that that's happened. Well, but no, and, and not only with them, I mean, in general, it happens at some point. The league and the clubs figured it out a way to, you know, make them uh, understand the role or at least give and take, you know, relationship in which they they come to the media. But it happened. I mean, Slatan did it at some point with LA Galaxy. I remember um, Rafa Marquez did it with Red Bulls. Of course, he was a pain to us to talk to him. He was real crazy, even though uh, the communications department at that time was really helpful. But Sometimes the player doesn't want it, and it's hard to make them understand. So it's just a matter of the teams and the, and the league themselves make them understand 
now it's a very different league. There are more eyes, and you need those players to be more open. And you know, but it's it's part of it's part of the process. I think it's part of the the um, uh, the yeah the process that they need to to be to go through and and get adjust to what the league is. I mean, for South American coaches and players, for example, it's a pain on the neck that we as a reporter had to come into the locker room. They don't, they don't, they're not used to that, period. They're not used to that. Right. And, you know, it happened with us in New York City as well. David Villa went through a period of time where he wasn't talking to the media. And uh, I know that, you know, we all complain to the communications department that, you know, he's got to come out and talk to. I mean, he was the face of the team. You can't, you can't do that, and especially in a league, right, where you're trying to sell, you're trying to grow, you're trying to grab a foothold, you're, you're fighting for media space, and when these guys don't come out and talk, then you lose that media space, and, you know, it's very, very hard for teams to gain traction that way. Yeah, the thing here is you're always going to have the, you're always going to have the, the, you can call it excuses, or you can call it the argument, right? The thing is, um, in the, in the case of Chicharito, for example, it was their home opener. So, you know. Right. That's yeah. a big part of it. And, you know. It's with, a bad look. Nah, and with, uh, with, with Villa, I mean, he did a lot in the community. He did a lot with the media. But the problem is when a captain doesn't speak, that doesn't reflect well on the club. And if you're the captain, you know, you're wearing the But he's armband. not the captain. Pardon? He's not the captain. No, I'm talking. I, I guess I was referring more to Villa during that period of right. time where, yeah, 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 where, yeah. where he wasn't speaking. Chicharito, we we have got to give him a chance. I mean, it's just one yeah. time, and now he'll be maybe he'll be more aware, and uh, right. the next time uh, he'll uh, he'll face the music of uh, what uh, the, uh, the uh, anybody yeah. within that program right now until Chicharito totally. scores, and, case, and until he scores, this is going to be the topic of discussion. Right, and in the in the case of of Carlos Vela, for example. You had to give it to him. I mean, if you follow his career, he's someone not to be seen in the media. It's hard to talk to him through his career, hard to get interviews with him. He probably do one or twice a year. And since he came to LAFC, he went to, through that period of school, of course. Third, first year maybe was a little rough. Second year, he was the captain of the team. He assumed that role. And he spoke a lot with the media. If, if there were instances in which he did not speak, yes. But you had to give it to them to look. You're gonna face the, the or we are in the middle of the Conquer Champions League, right? And Tigres is the, is a team that is gonna come right now to Red Bull Arena and play NYCFC. You're not gonna go to the locker room. You're not gonna gonna speak with every single player, okay? You're no, gonna have a, well, one player yeah. that is selected by the team in the press room, and then you're gonna have a um, a mix on in which they will stop if they want to. Yeah, we've talked about that where they they have their headphones on and they sprint past exactly. you in that mix zone. Yeah, the uh, that's the way Concacaf is set up. MLS is set up differently. You talked about getting into the locker room. Interesting in Toronto with the uh, coronavirus outbreak, uh, no one was allowed in the locker room this time until further notice. I think that's the way it's going to be uh, in Major League Soccer. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, great preview of this uh, huge match for New York City FC on Wednesday when they uh, play host to Tigres in the CCL quarterfinals. Roberto Abramowitz, Spanish radio commentary for New York City FC. John Rojas, soccer broadcaster and writer. And both gentlemen, co-hosts with me and Tom Kolker on the uh, weekly Soccer in the City podcast. All right, guys, thank you so much. Our pleasure. <laughs> All right.
Thanks uh, for having us. You're welcome. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, Last week I had promised Josh Wolf, head coach for Expansion Austin FC, but they don't kick off till next year, so I'm going to hold him off for uh, uh, another week. And I will tell you that Jason Kreiss has added Wolf to the staff for the U.S. Olympic qualifiers starting March 20th in Mexico. For Pro Soccer USA, this is Glenn Crooks on Frame.